Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. What is interesting for Latin America is that we're in an opportunity for growth. And what is very important is that we actually take into account this kind of like sustainability and best practices for the field so that it translates into a sustainable growth. And not that we are just like, you know, pumping out a cow from here. And for anyone that works in the field, they know that you can't really do that when it's crops. You know, you really need to manage. You cannot just push and say, click a button and you're just going to pop up more beans. You need to understand. SDG Talks in the house. Today, we got one of our best episodes today with Camila Olmeldo Mendez who's passionate about how humans can activate their personal capabilities to alter the status quo and drive sustainable change. Camila is the co-founder of START, a volunteer organization that seeks to equip the youth and create projects and collaborate with volunteer initiatives. She's been very active on the different platforms like Unleash, the Unschool School of Disruptive Design, the Resolution Project, and One Young World. In this podcast, we're going to learn about her work with farmers around cacao production. We're going to learn about the organization Start, where you literally just need to start somewhere with the social impact initiative and the roadmap that they help you create. And then her unique project to bring sustainable water solutions to rural families in Bolivia via different ways to wash and clean your clothes. Hope you enjoy listening and take care. Camila, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Kevin. Doing good. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us here on the SDG Talks podcast. Happy to be here. So for those of us that don't know you or hear the story, and it was great to meet you in line as we were trying to cross the border from Hong Kong to China, which feels like a distant memory. But give us a little context on some of the work that you do and how that aligns with the Sustainable Development Goals. Yes. So, well, I think a lot of people that know me are also very confused by what I do because it seems like I'm doing a lot of things, but I promise it's very intentional, I would say. So on one hand, I have my like real-time job where I work for Kakao and sustainability projects. So what we do is implement sustainability projects to help the producer, the farmer, to really keep up good agricultural practices, to be able to respect like all the challenges that you have with deforestation, all the challenges that can come up when you're working with like small farm holders that are of course in areas that you also need to preserve, etc. And on the other hand, I manage or well, I work with a team actually, and it's called Start, and this is the organization that I co-founded when I was back in university. And thanks to this kind of like backbone structure of the organization, that's pretty much volunteers getting together to do like impactful projects. I founded also El Aguasoro. It kind of came hand in hand and El Aguasoro was really like a practical problem that we had to tackle, which was access to water. And we did that with a team of start. So that's a little bit of what I'm involved in. Love it. There's nothing wrong with wearing too many hats. I mean, some people obviously say that you should focus on one thing, but some people are wired differently. And uh, like you, I, I wear, I have my day job and then about four side hustle hats. The, this podcast. Yeah, I remember we chatted about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So nothing wrong with that. So cacao, I kind of want to start there. I mean, it, I know a lot of different crops are water intensive and, and, have, and require 
a lot of different work from innovations to labor to water as a resource. Give us a little context on what your organization is doing to help empower farmers and what are some different sustainable tactics that are being done and maybe some success or failures behind some of the progress. I think my work is very interesting because we're the private sector engaging with small farm holders. And I think uh, previously that was seen as something that was maybe not, you know, the best way to engage with small farm holders. But I, I think it's important to mention here that we have recognized a way of intervening in engaging with small farm holders. So the way we do this is pretty much we articulate programs and say we're here in the long run. At the end of the day, a lot of NGOs are there for like a certain amount of period, but we're in there for the long run. So we try to design programs where we're helping the farmer uh, tackle different challenges that they have. And challenges come from meeting like certification requirements. Uh, I think a lot of people are now very familiar with like Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance, all these like certifications that are out there. But how you translate that to the field is a different reality. So we are there to support the farmer, to help the farmer and meet these requirements, teaching them. A lot of it is like education. Why? Because, for example, at least uh, cacao in South America, even though it's very, it's the actual origin of the cacao is in South America, for a lot of farmers, it's a new crop. So here it's important to notice that a lot of farmers, yes, they have a lot of knowledge from the field, but cacao is a new crop. And in terms of for example, you were mentioning like water intensive. It's not really a water intensive crop. It's actually a perennial, perennial uh, crop. So it's a very good one for farmers to be able to get income uh, throughout the year. But there's still very a lot of challenges where farmers have not reached like the maximum productivity that the farm should give them. So then whenever they don't have that, they start expanding their land. And they that's when you have deforestation happening. So this is where we go in and we say like, okay, we need to work on, you know, best agricultural practices. You need to, you know, uh, prune, you need to do this, you need to do that so that your productivity increases and you don't need to increment the size of like kind of like the farm size that you're in. Interesting. Yeah, I know that's the kind of the balance of growth and that there's the demand for resources as populations grow, but we have the challenge where we need trees for all our reasons and we can't just keep cutting them down. but a lot of this also ties into what is the policy that's out there and then how is that actually implemented, one, but then two, which is great work that you're doing, how do we actually educate these farmers? Mm -hmm. And it seems, so how do you actually educate the farmers to find that balance, to maybe sacrifice some economic gains to actually do what's sort of right for the whole community? It seems like that might be a challenge, right? Yes. So the way, for example, whenever you buy a chocolate that's certified, they offer a premium for that. So that translates into a cash premium for the farmer that is paid to them directly, like as an additional for meeting XYZ certification, uh, sorry, sustainability requirements. So what's interesting, I think here to notice is say like, for sure, it's a collaborative effort. I think there's a lot of sectors that get involved, but us where we are involved in the value chain, it's like, okay, we're taking on the responsibility of saying the farmer is also part of our value chain and we need to work with them. So we have field technicians that go to the farmer, meet up with them and share best practices. Our field technicians are also trained on best practices. Uh, so it's kind of like, it is a huge effort. And for example, in South America, the space is super big, right? So 
distances are very long. So of course it takes time to go there, to be in Parcela, in the, in the farm. That's what you call in Spanish. But I think there's been a lot of progress. And what it's interesting for Latin America is that we're in an opportunity for growth. And what is very important is that we actually take into account this kind of like sustainability and best practices for the field so that it translates into a sustainable growth and not that we are just like, you know, pumping out cacao from here. And for anyone that works in the field, they know that you can't really do that when it's crops. You know, you really need to manage. You cannot just push and say, click a button and you're just going to pop up more beans. You need to understand. So I think that's also very interesting for a company that works with cacao or, for example, coffee, etc., you really need to understand the environment. It's not just like you're working in a separate factory and you can just say, like, I put X inputs and I'm going to get Y outputs. You really need to understand and be able to work with the challenges that you have. Yeah, there's a thing called a supply chain and it requires the sun and water and dirt and a lot of labor to create some of these products. I I can imagine too, when I guess again, just with the growing populations and demands, you have the desire to maybe cut some of these corners and, and just pump production. But it's good to know there's organizations like yourself out there. So are predominantly these rural farmers throughout different places in South America that you work with and, and has overall been a successful response from the local small farmers? Well, for my work right now, I've been involved mostly in Peru. And it's been great to see this here because I can see also the comparison with, like, with the field in Bolivia, because originally I'm from Bolivia, but now I'm living in Peru. So I can see how cacao is actually like a crop where communities can get involved in. And then that kind of creates an ecosystem of people uh, engaging, whether it is as a field technician. So for example, you're a farmer and then you're your son can become a field technician and then you get employed and then you want to stay in the community. So that kind of creates an ecosystem of, okay, there's work here. There's things going on here. When you don't have really a crop or, you know, incentives to stay in the community, then you have people moving from, let's say these smaller communities all the way to the city. Then you have urbanization. And then that's another conversation that we can have. But yes, I think that's one point interesting. And another thing interesting that I would like to share is actually in Peru, Cacao was introduced as an alternative crop by a program from the U.S., actually, just to eradicate illegal crops. So it's presented an opportunity for a lot of small farmers to say, okay, I'm going to change from being in this like illicit crop that, of course, presented a lot of challenges. And there was a lot of like, you can Google it and read more about it. It's very interesting because there was a whole kind of like issue with uh, narcotrafico, with drug trafficking. And farmers being really pressed to kind of produce these illicit crops. And then you have the opportunity to now engage in cacao, where you're also getting a good payment and you can actually engage and make money throughout the whole year. So it provided like a good incentive. And when you go to the field, you really hear these stories of farmers telling you, well, before, yes, it was very hard. You had people coming up to your door. You had to pay X amount to kind of like keep your safety, keep your family safety. But now that's been like eradicated. And now you have a... The opportunity to engage with cacao. Well, it's always good to hear about the United States actually doing something positive and good for an international program. So it's, it's good to hear how that's led to some good alternatives for the local farmers. So kind of just change into what we talked about earlier and some of the other amazing work you do with your side hustle hats, which I appreciate. Tell us more about Start. What is it? How did it start? No, I guess full pun intended. And just kind of how, how's it work and, and how can other people get involved? 
Yes. So, well, it started when I was, uh, yes, again, we're going to say start a lot. Sorry for people that are here. Yeah, start, start, start. <laughs> it started when I was in UT in Austin. I was doing my undergraduate there. And it was honestly just like a group of friends, including my brother, my cousin, and like just really close friends saying we wanted to do something because we recognized the fact that we were studying in the States. It was a great opportunity for us. And we saw so many resources, like in the States, you just have an abundance of resources, whether it is like from, I don't know, t-shirts when you're in college and that they're passing it out to being able to knock on somebody's door and they're going to tell you like where you can apply to programs and where you can apply to volunteering. And you have all these opportunities. So we were like, okay, we don't really have that back home and we would really like to translate that back home. So I think it started with that. We did a really small project that I think any other, I think anyone hearing us might have been involved in kind of like a good intention activity where you like donate some clothes or you, you know, you do some nice act or like a nice intention. But then I think it kind of linked to the interest that I have that was, first of all, creating alternative models for development and that were actually very tangible and very something that you can act on, that you, Kevin, as a person can say like, okay, I will take action on this and this will have an impact. And of course, that has come with a lot of learning from my side too. I was able to participate in different and organizations or webinars or conferences where I was involved with like One Young World, Unleash is one of them. The School of Disruptive Design is one of them where I understood like, okay, how do we come about solving real issues that are out there that people care about? And I think our generation more and more is like, okay, climate change, what can I do about that? Okay, plastic. In Latin America, we also right now have the topic of deforestation because the Amazon is burning every year and we feel like so powerless. So I think start really was an idea to say everybody has a good intention. Everybody wants to kind of make a mark in this world. What do we do about it? And how do we take action is very hard to answer. But then we come down to the single small step to say like, just start, just really do something and then learn and kind of pivot and kind of engage all these other ways of making an impactful project. But the idea was to really step it down and just take that first step. That's amazing. I couldn't agree more uh, in a lot with my social enterprise responsible. A lot of it is just focused on grassroots initiatives. And there's so many times where I think people are, they maybe look at the the Al Gore documentary where he, you know, Inconvenient Truth or whatever it was called, where he was standing in, on the screen and kind of just like pointing the finger at people being like, the world is going to hell in handbasket. There's, you know, there's literally nothing we can do. We're all like, obviously it was inspirational in a sense, but I think people are overwhelmed. They're like, well, I can't do anything. Like my little actions won't make a difference. But I think what you talk about is you just got to start somewhere and individual actions at scale from using one time, less one time use plastics, reevaluating your diet, eating less red meat, doing different things like using public transportation. It may seem mundane, but those are the things I couldn't agree more that as you build into the culture, our generation from, in, at, from all the youth growing up, those are the things that now move us to hopefully being able to sustain a equitable and fruitful world moving forward. You know, I hear, I think about population growth and, and resource strain today and think about what's happened, this roadmap to 2030 and what the population, all that's going to be in 2050 and let alone 2100 or 2100. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I get kind of, that's, that's what kind of, I don't get stressed out, but I think when I think about that, I'm like, there's opportunities there, but I'm also like, man, like 
at the current rate, I'm a little scared. You know, so you talk about this roadmap. Do you have any examples of you or someone in the start program of, hey, I saw a problem and I needed some help and I just I worked with start to like build a roadmap for action or you know, any sort of examples you can give us? Yes. So we recently launched our Starters Future Festival. It was launched like last Friday. And it was a very neat experience for me because I actually got to hear the stories of a lot of volunteers that got involved and somehow start provided that platform or that opportunity for them to take action on something that they cared about. And I think something that's very important just to kind of go back to that topic that you were saying, sometimes it's scary. I agree. And sometimes we can just kind of think forward and say like, how on earth are we going to do this? When you hear like the whole climate change coming on to us and well, this past month, I think it's also been very scary and it continues to, it continues to be, I think. I think it's also important that we kind of trust that the world is going to take its path and that we're just here kind of living in it. Right. So we kind of have to respect it and make the best of those decisions and then let that, kind of everything will kind of like set on and go I don't I believe really in like these kind of feedback loops and that kind of like the world has natural self-regulation systems that will make everything in a sense okay for the world for us it's going to be harsh and we really need to adapt and some people a lot of people are really going to be affected and that's what's not right but that's on one hand I'm going back to kind of like the festival and kind of like these stories of people being able to engage in a project I can later tell you more about El Agua de Soro, which was actually one project that I think a lot of volunteers were super happy to join on to, to connect to the community, to really find out also what they are passionate about, but not also not only that, also like what they're talented in and how they can contribute to their passion. So I think that was very interesting. But just to mention a concrete example once again is to say that uh, we have a project called Santa Cruz Te Quiero Verde. Santa Cruz is a city in Bolivia. And Te Quiero Verde is like, I want you green. So this project came about after the Amazon fires last year. Really, we were we were hurting because we just saw that Bolivia was on fire. The Chiquitania, which is the Amazon area of Bolivia, was set on fire. And you feel so powerless. But I think out of this experience that a lot of volunteers were really like seeing in the city the fog, seeing in the city like, okay, we can't do anything about this they decided to really create a reforestation project. But it's not only about creating and just going and planting trees. They actually are taking the time to study like what organizations are currently in Bolivia. Who is making already an action in this? How can we get involved? How can we leverage things that have been done? And I think that's super important when you're talking about volunteering in in this time of the world, because we really need to acknowledge that people already did some activity to make a good intent. And maybe it was a, no- a negative externality out of that. So you, re- you really need to like set back, sit down, look at the situation, and then really do take action. I couldn't agree more. And sometimes you don't fully need to reinvent the wheel. And I think people look at innovation thinking, oh man, I need to create the next biggest, best widget or service. And sometimes innovation can be repurposing or repackaging an existing idea and, and making it accessible or, or doing something new with an existing organization. So there's a lot of good organizations out there, like the ones you said, from Start and the project you're working in Alessoro. And, and you know that's just within your context, but those exist all over the world. And mm-hmm. groups like Unleash and organizations like you mentioned, whether it's Global Shapers or 
the youth communities. There's so many of those. So, you know, make sure to check the show notes. There's so many of these organizations that can help empower your idea. Or even if you're just a passionate individual, there's just resources that are out there that we can connect you with. So good to hear that. So, I, and I guess Alessoro, as I, you mentioned it, but we didn't, I don't know if we fully dove into it yet. Can you give me what, what is it and, and kind of what's the status of it? Yes. So El Agua Soro was a project that started when I was in high school, my last year of high school. I honestly didn't know that it was going to be called that or that it was going to kind of evolve into that. And that's what makes this project very interesting because I think it was a project where you found a huge problem where it is access to water in prairie urban communities, where I was mind blown by the fact that when I went to this community that's 20 minutes from my house, 30 max, they didn't have access to water. And it was right, it is right behind the airport of the city. So in my head, I was like, I know that a lot of rural communities don't have access to water because of infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. But then I was like, how can people in the city that are really 20 minutes away from me don't have access to water? And when they access water, they actually actually have to pay more for it because they're paying a truck to bring it in and dump it into like a, a barrel. And this water is not even kind of certified as it's a good quality or it's a bad quality, right? So in my head, that was like a huge question mark. But then I was like, okay, so what can I do about it? And at the moment, that's when START was initiating and I was in UT. And in UT, you have this amazing again, opportunities where you can kind of create a table and raise funds and people, students are walking by and you sell cookies. And of course, $5 is like a lot more money in Bolivia. So I was like, easy. I can just like do a a well and raise funds in the States. And yeah, that was it. Like that was my great idea. I wasn't supposed to be this kind of like very long project. That was probably like five, six years ago. But no, it actually turned out that I mean, that's where I kind of learned, like, how do you create an impactful project, right? I was like saying, do I want to do a water project just for the sake of saying I did it? Like there's water there and like I took this picture and it's amazing because now they have water. Or do I really want to try to understand the root problem of it? And that led me to even doing my one of my master thesis on this and understanding what was really the problem and how could you tackle it. So just to give you a background, Cochabamba, that's my home city. And we went through a water war in 2000. And there was a water war because water got privatized. And people were like, okay, this is not okay. And there were riots, etc. And it's kind of one of the single cases where the private company got thro- thrown out of the city. And water became kind of like a public good, but it's still kind of managed half by the city, half by like a private company. But this area of the city that's very urban doesn't have access to water because they're not connected to the water grid. So, I mean, I went through X amount of solutions. Like you said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And you've been, I know, involved in a lot of water projects. And that's where I also started seeing like, okay, you have filters, you have a live straw, that's the kind of like decentralized filter way of doing it. You have, I don't know, I went to look at Charity Water. I went to look at water.org. I was actually in Bangladesh. I learned about Grameen Violia in Bangladesh, how they work with the ladies. So I kind of took all these components of what I saw and said, okay, we have to create something. But first we need to create a relationship with the community. Because when we went there, we were kind of foreigners to our own city. So the first 
thing after we created the, this relationship with the community was to really visit them every Saturday and we created a wash program. So it started with that. And for a year and a half, we were doing a wash program where kids could be able, were able to access showers. And this was all launched with like the start volunteers and this and that. And there was when we started kind of like implementing participatory action research where we would do fun ways of getting information. So I don't know, you could, you might been involved in doing like questionnaires whenever I ask like, what's your name? And, you know, kind of like basic questions, but it's not the same thing as having a conversation because I get to learn a lot more about you when I have a conversation. So it evolved from really getting to know the community, you know, doing this type of activities where we were really having conversations. And one time I was shocked that kids stopped going to the activity that we were doing every Saturday. So when this happened, I was like, okay, why are they not coming? We're providing the incentives for them to come. You get a snack, you get a shower, you get like a towel, everything is clean, like you're having fun. And suddenly, mostly like the teenage girls were not coming. So one day I chatted with her and I was like, hey, why didn't you like show up? And she's like, well, I really need to do some chores in the house. And when I said, okay, I help you. What do you need to do? And she's like, well, and she like opened the door to her house. And I see the amount of clothes that she has to hand wash and the amount of water she is using for this. And that's where the second status of the project comes up. So this is where I shared to you what we're doing right now. And maybe you care to kind of like explain a little bit of that from your point of view. And then maybe I can clarify just so that I don't go on. Yeah, this this was uh, our, one of our first conversations when we were at the Unleashed 2019 going crossing the border from Hong Kong to Beijing. And I remember you telling, I was telling you about the grassroots water projects I'm working on. And to my understanding of what you're doing is, yes, there's a water issue, but it's not necessarily a drinking water issue. There's there's this full, let's say 100% pie of water. And a lot of it is being used to wash clothes. And it's, it's a lot, very time consuming. The idea is to have a portable washing machine truck that comes up and allows you to do your laundry a couple times a week. And it's something that's machine powered. It's using a lot less water. It's very efficient. And by doing that, it frees up time and also other water resources for other things. And what I liked about this is that it's addressing the water issue from a creative perspective where small example before I go on is I tried doing a water project in the Navajo Nation and while they do have some water issues, some of the bigger issues was lack of access to food. So instead of installing a water treatment system, we ended up doing a permaculture farm to help provide food, which is also tied directly linked to water. So a little side context, but that was my understanding of your amazing project. And I would love to know if it was like kind of close or way off or, or what, but please elaborate on it. No, it was exactly that. I mean, I think it evolved from understanding that 30% of the water that they currently use is for hand washing clothes, right? And we need to understand that they are getting, they're buying water in 200 liter barrels. And out of this, 30% of that is getting used for hand washing clothes. The other percent is used kind of for wash practices, like showering, personal hygiene. And the other is boiled to uh, cook and maybe drink. But we also need to understand the peri-urban context because people, when you think about, oh, no access to water, people are not drinking, they're dying of thirst. It's like, no, they live in the city also, so they can have some spare money to buy water, right? So I think that's also another point to say, like when you're in a peri-urban context, it's not that you just have like the drinking water is a priority. It's more like, how do you make water consumption more efficient? 
And in another way, it was also understanding that they were paying more for this water. So in a way, it's kind of like this poverty penalty that they're going into in a feedback loop because it's saying like, okay, women have to take care of arranging when the water truck comes in, how, and then paying more for that water. They actually pay like 65% more per liter of water than somebody that's connected to the grid. And then they're using that to wash their clothes, which also is very time consuming. So here we thought about the problem. It's like, this is a very expensive and time consuming task that should be solved in a more creative way that still engages with the the people that are coming in to wash their clothes. So the idea is that while the machine is washing the clothes, we have volunteers kind of working on that. We also engaged with the women or the teenagers or whoever comes up to, you know, learn from them, chat with them, even do like some trainings on some things. So we really see it as a creative opportunity. And on the status of it, we are actually um, finalists for LEAD 2030. We didn't make it. Yes. But I mean, it was really great to kind of see the idea of being validated, you know, and saying like this can be a feasible opportunity. But with that to say, I think some of the maybe if for an impact project, it's like, okay, but then how do you scale this? Or then I guess some people are also, is this really like a priority, right? But I think you really need to understand how complex it is, like the connections that you have when you're tackling water, woman empowerment, time, what does time mean, et cetera, and how this project could provide more of an opportunity than a final solution. I love it and couldn't agree more where this is something that, yes, there's obviously some other maybe higher perceived priorities. But when you look at how something like this, frankly, yes, there's a cost to it, but you look at all the different opportunities from time save to different aspects of empowerment. It is such a great project that addresses so many of the SDGs. And it's something that I I really want to continue to work with you on where I'd love to find ways to help raise more funds and awareness to implement a pilot program. But sometimes that's the biggest thing of, we just need to get off the ground. You know, we don't need to roll out 25 of these trucks, but what if we could start with one and show that's successful? Mm-hmm. And then of course, we're then finding ways to make it a sustainable business model and, and I, I and ideally create jobs. So I'd love to talk more about that and see where we could go with it in any way that I can help. Or again, if you're listening and you're interested in wanting to get involved with this project, make sure to reach out to me or reach out to Camila. Um, because it's a great idea. And, I, and that's the kind of innovation that we need and we want to continue to spread. Yes. I mean, just to add that on a final note, I think on that pilot, and this is also for anyone looking to do a project out there. Initially, I was set out and saying like, okay, we really need a truck that is, you know, in a way nice and that it's, you know, painted and it has the colors and the stickers and blah, blah, blah. But then I was chatting, uh, my laundry broke the other day during the quarantine and somebody came to fix it and we were chatting and I told him like, I'm really trying to do this project and you really know a lot about laundry machines. <laughs> so I told him about the project and he was like, that's very interesting. That's super cool, but super expensive. Like he's saying, like, you have to get this truck, you have to do this, you have to do that. So he literally like simplified the project to say like, you could just get like a trailer that like sets in the back of somebody's car. You just put like two machines, you fix them, like you just make them stick there. You put two barrels and that's it. Like you really can move it around and you don't need this like upfront cost. That literally brought my 
I don't know, it saved me like $50,000 out yeah. of the project. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole, the minimum viable product where, yeah, something, it may be the big shiny stuff in the brand <laughs> of it and the look of it sounds good. But I like that idea of just using a particular, using an existing truck that has a trailer hitch, getting a trailer, putting some washers on there and some of the rain buckets and using some type of generators to power them. And obviously yeah. there's probably some more engineering and plumbing that needs to be done, but I would love to, again, that's a great example of just let's continue to try and simplify and bring it to market and prove the concept. Exactly. And then you can add kind of like the, okay, you can make it solar powered. Okay. You can recycle water because the idea was also to recycle the water from the laundry machine, but that just added like an extra layer of complexity to raise funds and actually do it. Of course, right now, uh, the quarantine and like kind of COVID put it on pause because we can't really be going and moving around in the city. But it's definitely like as soon as we can and we're kind of raising funds right now through start to do it, we will be implementing this kind of first pilot, very raw version of it. Love it. Well, make sure to send me some of all the links so I can make sure to include them all and I'll um, put them all in the show notes. But just to kind of close this out here, you gave us some good thoughts there just at the end, but one last sort of note that you want to give the, the community of, of a thought of inspiration or a message or any sort of final idea around innovation or passion or UN SDGs or South American soccer. I don't know, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think my word would be a lot for people that don't know yet what the SDGs are or maybe hear it but don't really haven't been involved as maybe some of us have already been. People that have been to Unleash or this or that, you're somehow already in that ecosystem of people being super pumped about doing things. If it's your first time kind of like hearing about this or hearing about how people get involved in these really cool projects, I think what people have been doing is super interesting. And unless you hear so many stories, Kevin, like the things that you have been doing is also great. I think you don't have to see it as something that's so like far away that you cannot do it. You just really need to be very simple minded and say like, what do I care about? And I'm sure that you care about something. And then what talent do I have to contribute to that? And I think when you talk about volunteering, a lot of people say like, ah, no, that's just like for a certain period in your life, or you're supposed to be this type of person. Typically you're this like super nice person that does nice things, you know? And I'm like, no, it's really about just getting involved, taking a little bit more responsibility of whatever else you're doing and seeing how that will actually lead you to do and create something very interesting, whether it be from scratch or whether, like you said, you add on to somebody else's project and I think that's how we can really tackle the problems that we are facing. Couldn't agree more. Camila, it's been a, a joy to hear your voice and see your face again and, and learn about all the amazing projects you're doing. I know coronavirus has thrown a monkey wrench into all our lives, but I think it's also created a lot of opportunities with different new business model innovation. So it's been great to learn about everything you're doing and I uh, wish you all the best of luck. And I really want to continue to to support and work with you on the the project within the kind of the water safety water access within laundry work in bolivia and around south america so let's continue to stay in touch and thanks again for all your passion for sure. thank you so much doing. for having me hey you crushed it thank you <laughs> thanks see ya thanks for listening to the sdg talks podcast Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. 
Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in the United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.